Hello and welcome back to another episode of Healthy Conversations with Omi Naidu, the show where we connect the experts directly to you. In this episode, I'm joined by Vanessa Kotzer, who's a registered dietitian and graduated from the University of Pretoria with a BSc in Human Genetics, as well as a Bachelor of Science degree in Dietetics. She later then went on to do a Master's of Nutrition degree at Stellenbosch University. Vanessa is no stranger to to the academic environment, having more than a decade worth of lecturing experience at the University of Pretoria. She is quite an expert or key opinion leader, both locally and internationally. And I'm quite excited to have her on the podcast today, sharing some wonderful insights. In this episode, we talk about protein pulsing. How often do you get to a patient and day after day you see that you're not meeting the protein requirements? How often do you evaluate to see the deficits between what you're prescribing and what's actually being delivered? Well, protein pulsing is being punted as the next best option to help us plug in those gaps in terms of protein deficits to help those patients in the critically ill recover and walk out of those ICUs. I hope you enjoyed this episode and please don't forget to like, share and subscribe. A special thank you to the guys from Nutritia for supporting this episode. So it's a warm welcome to Vanessa Kotzer. Great, thanks, Omi. Thanks for the invitation to share some more information on the field of nutrition in ICU. Yes, so, so you know, I think it, it's quite exciting to have a, lo- a local expert like yourself on the podcast. And I think you are an academic that's always presenting at quite a few of the local and even international meetings. So again, you know, thanks for being on the show. No, thank you. I'm glad you see me as an expert. I think in my in my head, I, I never think of myself as an expert. I think there's always more to learn and you learn from each other as well. Absolutely. And I think that's what gave birth to the podcast. You know, this this emphasis of sharing information amongst colleagues and amongst disciplines. And it can overall, you know, us pushing the ball together can get the outcome of the patient improved. Definitely. And also learn from each other. I think that's also being open to, to ideas. Yeah, no, absolutely. And opinions. So today, you know, I wanted to reach out to you regarding protein pulsing. It's, it's a topic that's, that's getting more and more interest these days. And uh, when I attended a, a recent, or not a, a recent, but a talk once, I remember you mentioning quite a bit of it. And I thought, who better to talk to us about protein pulsing than yourself? So I, I want to start off with, for those that don't know, could you explain to the listeners what is protein pulsing? Okay, so I think if one go look at the term theoretically, um, you're going to see a few references and most of it's going to state that you look at administering or giving a protein or the, the, a protein of more than 70 to 80% of the daily requirements in one meal. So instead of spreading it during the whole day, limiting it to one meal, um, some other references are going to tell you looking at spreading it over two meals maybe instead of just the one. Um, and then, of course, there's some people that believe in doing it in three meals. So the pulsing is just is giving a large amount of protein so that you sort of saturate um, this black neck uh, pool of protein and that you can then opt, have optimal protein synthesis in the body. I think it's amazing that, you know, researchers are, are working in different areas of how to 
enhance this protein uptake? Because I think it's still a bit of a gray area as to what is the optimal delivery and how do we get the best muscle mass? And even that too, we've had researchers on the podcast explaining that that increased muscle mass doesn't necessarily increase functionality. It doesn't necessarily mean better outcome. Definitely. I think, you know, and I think um, all the dietitians, or most of the dietitians working in, in this field will also um, talk to you about the fact that, you know, you can give protein up to two grams or 2.5 grams per kilogram per day, and you still don't see this optimal protein synthesis happening. Um, so I think there's, there's a vast field out there that's open for research into the administration of protein, looking at the amount and then also the method of administration. Yes. So for you, uh, you know, when is this item of protein pulsing or this option of protein pulsing considered in the critically ill patient? Is there a specific patient in your practice that you identify as that's the guy that we need to consider protein pulsing? Could you maybe talk us through that? Yeah, well, I'm gladly. Well, this is not out of personal um, experience. <clears throat> My apologies. It's personal experience. So you're not going to find a lot of literature on the protein pulsing in the ICU. Um, we find a lot more literature on that in your hospitalized patients. Specifically, if you go look at your COPD patients, there's also an article on patients where they've used that, that's malnourished elderly patients. Um, so in my practice, what I do is I tend to not do it in while the patient's unstable and not tolerating the enteral nutrition adequately. Um, there I would just um, continue doing continuous feeding, so continuous administration of the protein throughout the day, but as soon as they're stable, and specifically, I would say also in my long-term patients, um, I then start moving over to protein pulsing, um, but I've sort of adjusted it a bit. So I don't do it theoretically where you only do it all the protein in one or two meals. So I would sort of try to move over to bolus administrations almost off the protein. Um, so I would maybe do it two to three times a day where I would then on top of my continuous feeding, I would actually then administer the protein bolus as well in an attempt to get optimal protein synthesis. Um, so yeah, so it's mostly in my stable patients, very long-term patients, where I would, I would consider this. So Vanessa, you commented on uh, two subsets that were not the critically ill, which was your COPD and your elderly malnourished. Could you just share with us the, the sort of information that you've come across in terms of protein pulsing in these patients? Yes, um, uh, there's some studies that show that administering most of your protein in two to three of, let's say, two meals. So the majority in, let's say, for example, breakfast and then supper, they actually saw very good protein synthesis in these patients. But the, the take note sort of in this during, in these studies were that the patients had to have optimal protein intake. So it doesn't help that you try to do this in patients where the protein intake is suboptimal. So they're eating half of the protein they should be eating for the day. It doesn't help administrating it there. So your first, your first uh, I say objective is always to get the total protein intake for the day there. Once you've got that established, then you can start looking at the protein pulsing and then maybe looking at administering most of the proteins, so 70 to 80% of their requirements in two meals. So either then breakfast and lunch or breakfast and supper. 
Um, so that is what they've seen in some of the elderly malnourished patients. There's also a lot of evidence in your COPD patients where they saw that doing this protein pulsing, so giving about 30 to 45 grams of protein in one meal, and specifically with the COPD patients, they actually looked at that after the exercise. So it was a very strenuous um, any exercise for COPD patients is seen as strenuous for them. So you sort of activated the muscle and now you want to saturate the pool, the blood pool with enough protein to result in um, optimal protein synthesis. So there they've seen that after exercising, you give this 30 to 45 grams of protein and they've actually seen a better result in uh, the muscle mass of these patients. Okay, so if, if I understand you correctly, in summary, the categories that we'd consider for protein pulsing will be your long-stay ICU patient who's well into the recovery phase and you're trying to create this new muscle mass to sort of uh, help with the functionality being returned. And then the other two categories would be your, your more ward patients for things like COPD as well as elderly malnourished patients. Yes, definitely. Look, I think the thing is you can probably pull it through to other disease conditions as well, but it's just it hasn't been researched that much um, in other disease conditions. But for example, if you think about your um, IRV patients on IRVs that's malnourished, there's probably a, a place for this as well to do this protein pulsing. Um, but yeah, I, I would definitely be a bit hesitant to do it in your critically ill patients that's in the acute phase. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens because Liesl Faltzman down in Tigerberg Hospital, she's conducting a PhD where she's going to be administering large amounts of protein, but IV, not entrally. Um, so it might be interesting to see what results she's going to get from her study. Okay. And so what do the studies show in terms of the effect of protein pulsing? Why is protein pulsing being suggested for these patients? So, you know, what, what's the sort of mechanism that, that we're seeing? Okay, so what they see, the outcomes that they see is that they see an improvement in the body composition, as well as the skeletal muscle mass and body cell mass. Uh, but where they don't see a difference though is in their hand grip strength and the activities of daily living scores, if you, if you complete that. So there they don't see a huge difference but they do see a difference in the other outcomes doing this protein pulsing. So it does look as though there's a place for it. One will just have to decide what are your outcomes that you're going to measure to see whether it's actually working. Yes, and so it would be a comparative of uh, you know, protein pulsing versus traditional care, which may mean a continuous feed alone, or, and then the other arm would be continuous plus this bolus of, of, of protein that you suggested. Definitely. So I must say at the moment, I'm doing continuous with the bolus, um, which I think is probably a bit contradictory because um, there is some thoughts that the continuous feeding actually blunts the protein synthesis that one would actually want. And shouldn't one then just rather go over to maybe intermittent feeding um, or then just plain bolus feeding in these patients to see whether you'll get optimal protein synthesis? that's better than compared to, for example, continuous protein infusion. Yes, yes. But I think it's just amazing that you've already incorporated this very novel practice into your, your current regimes. 
Well, I'm attempting it. So <laughs> I think there's still some a place for vast improvement and, and and then also seeing what the latest research will show us, what is the optimal way of, of doing this. And, you know, it's interesting you touch on uh, continuous feeding and, you know, versus these bolus feeding options where it, those, those rests in the bowel may actually increase muscle, uh, you know, uptake and all of that. And we've did an episode quite recently with Professor Todd Rice, the ex-Aspen president. And, you know, he also yes. spoke a bit about in time to come, you know, continuous feeds may not be the only option we explore for that exact reasons of what you're mentioning. Yeah, I, I think that's a field that is sort of now open and being investigated. So it will be interesting to see the, the data that we'll get out of this as, as the people explore this. And then, you know, and then maybe it's going to change our approach to our patients completely. So, Vanessa, I know you covered a little bit uh, on the acute patient who's unstable that probably wouldn't be your ideal patient for protein pulsing. But could you maybe elaborate, are there any other patients that you should think that we might be a bit more mindful when using protein pulsing for? Yes, um, so I think, in my opinion, I would think that somebody that even they're not in the acute phase or even a bit more long-term, but they're not tolerating the feeds adequately, I don't think that's going to be your first objective is to get protein pulsing going. Um, and then I also think probably patients we are going to be mindful with regards to the amount of protein that you're administering. So for example, um, your renal patients, maybe also in your patients with liver problems, Again, this is now just sort of a personal opinion. Um, there isn't a lot about that in the literature, but yeah, that's what I would recommend. You know, Vanessa, it's, it's very often on the podcast, we, we speak about novel approaches. We speak about new evidence and very often with newer items, all we have to rely on is anecdotal evidence or expert opinion like yourself. So we really appreciate the fact that you can then contextualize it and look at it from a practical perspective and guide the rest of the dietitian community. Uh, no, thanks for that, Omi. Um, I think also, you know, you have to speak to other dietitians as well. You know, as you have thoughts, just talk to people and get the input as well. Um, that also helps a lot to get these novel ideas, bring it into context. Yeah, no, absolutely. And if you're looking at it, uh, we, we, we we're speaking about protein. We're talking about, you know, your patients on, on their goal rate of protein. And now we're going to bolus feed them some additional protein. And then comes the question, in your experience, what would you say is the upper limit of the protein that we should be delivering? We've had these discussions at length, both in season one and season two with the with Professor Highland from Canada, and he's doing quite a few studies with the effort to try and understand what is the right amount of protein we should be delivering in the ICU. The evidence shows us unilaterally throughout the, the world, we under delivering in terms of protein and calories. But what in your opinion would you say is, is the upper limit that we should be considering for these patients? Well, what I try to do is, is we all work with ranges in the ICU. So let's say, for example, you use the aspirin recommendations of protein, which is 1.2 to 1.5 grams. But I'll try to do is to do the continuous at 1.2, if they tolerate that well, then to do the bolus and then make sure that I don't exceed the upper limit 
of those ranges then. So for example, if I work it back and I look at my continuous width of polis um, protein, that it doesn't exceed, for example, 1.5 grams per kilogram per day. But then of course we know the longer you can go higher, you can go up to two grams per kilogram per day. I think the biggest thing is, is that you actually need to monitor your patient. So you need to go look at all the clinical signs of overfeeding um, that I think most of us in the ICUs are looking at. For example, your urea levels, even though we know it's not accurate, but your CO2 levels as well. Um, so, I, yeah, so I would say I usually work on upper range, but then sometimes I do exceed it. Um, and then I'll just monitor the patient and how they tolerate that. Okay. And in, in closing, we're nearing the end of this interview. And if there are dietitians out there or doctors with an interest in nutrition, if they're listening and they have sort of bought into this concept that protein pulsing is a nice way to introduce into their units, is there any practical advice you would give them? Because we also know implementation of new processes is always difficult. We also know what's prescribed and what's actually delivered is quite, you know, there's quite a big variance. The studies show us 60% of what we write on the chart is actually delivered. How do you, well, what advice would you give to, to people wanting to implement protein pulsing in their units, knowing that we need a big buy-in from nurses to implement these bolus feedings? Perfectly. Okay, so what I've learned in, the, in my time that I've been trying to implement it now is to definitely give times that they need to administer it. So not just to say, give protein three times a day. Yeah, actually, I actually start telling them now I need it to be administered at, let's say, for example, six o'clock in the morning when they administer the medication. And then again, lunchtime, 12 o'clock or one o'clock. And then again, at six o'clock or seven o'clock in the evening when they administer medication. So, you know, it's been given with the medication, even though we know sometimes there's interactions with medications and, and the protein itself, but that I'll just monitor. Okay, no, perfect. Vanessa, thank you so much for your time and thanks for sharing your insights on the podcast. And we look forward to having you on again. Well, thanks very much, Armi. Thank you so much.